tomorrow's election day. I mean, not tomorrow, no. tomorrow, but it'll be tomorrow by the time this episode comes out. Well, okay. now they know the tricks of the trade. Now they know the trick. Well, okay, so it was funny because last week's episode, I was like, it's Monday. And it, I know. it was, I was Thursday like, when it came it out. <laughs> it's rather confusing. No, we don't record and release same day, guys. Sorry, we do have jobs. Um, yeah. So last Thursday, this is obviously a two-parter in the Electoral College. Last Thursday, we kind of – we did like a really brief overview of – like what it was and how it worked, but like very, very brief. And the other thing was funny. Like I went back and listened uh, and I do feel that it was like a calculus level mathematician explaining basic algebra to first graders that had never seen math before. <laughs> um, so the electoral college is a group of state representatives who cast the final vote for president and vice president. Those votes are decided by the popular vote. So whoever you vote for tells your delegation of electors who to vote for. And each district, like voting district in each state has an elector. Yes. So the, uh, yes. And your number of state electors is made up of your number of representatives in Congress and then your two state senators. So... No state can have less than three electors, so three electoral votes, because you always have two senators and at least one representative in Congress. But were we just, you know, talking about the votes and like, so Florida has 29 electoral college votes, basically, yes. or electoral college electors, and they cast votes based on how each district votes. Yes. But in most states, I think all but two, it works like the winner takes all. Correct. So, so you're going to get into that. Yeah, That's so and my and big beef. That's my so, major beef with this. Honestly. So in 48 states, um so every state but Nebraska and Maine, it is winner takes all. So if you get second place, I'm sorry, you're out. Um so what, whoever what, wins um, that state's popular vote is then going to be awarded that state's entire number of electoral votes. So wait, I have a question. What about what about the states that have an even number of votes? Like I saw, I think it was question. like Maine or something like that had. So Maine and Nebraska have it to where it's, um, it's a proportional representation. Okay. So where everywhere is winner takes all, theirs is essentially what we were like describing last week, where it's sort of like um, whoever gets the majority is automatically awarded two of those electoral votes but whoever comes in second place gets one electoral vote. Like they okay. get split, but in most, but, in split. All, but, but on all but two of the state. So like in California, I feel like 40% of the state votes Democrat and 50% of the state votes Republican, which has that ever happened in California? Probably not. Believe it or um, not, California is um, really weird the way it's set up. And we can get into the history of how California was like established as a state, but uh, it recently started turning blue in the 80s and 90s as Los Angeles and San Francisco grew, but the majority of California is pretty red. Oh, interesting. So, but, so let's say 40% of California votes Democrat and 50% votes Republican because 50% in the state, 
and 10% votes independent. I know that didn't add up to 100. I'm so like 40, 60. So 40%. Yeah. So say yeah. 40, 60, whoever gets the majority vote gets all 51 electoral college votes, Elizabeth. Correct. Rather than splitting okay. them proportionally, which is, I don't understand why. Yeah, I'm like, that and that, and that all comes down sense. to your state's constitution and how your state has chosen to set up its electoral system. So when essentially the the way it it's left up to the state how they're going to um, choose their electors, like their delegation of electors, um, are they going to let the you know Democratic Party chairman of Florida pick them, and then the Democratic Party chairman of their like the, or the Republican Party chairman pick you know an equal amount and then throw them together? Like it's left up to the state how those electors are decided. Here in Florida, the governor chooses the delegation of 29 electors. And sometimes you can even see, um, I don't think it's like this on ballots. I know it's not like this on a ballot in um, Marion County. I don't know what it's like on either of y'all's. But um, you can even sometimes see where uh, it'll say, like, if you're voting, um, like, it'll say, you know, President you know, Donald Trump. And then in parentheses, it might say like John Smith and like, that's his elector for your district. Right. So it'll say like, you're casting your ballot for president Trump. And if he wins out, you know, then, and if he wins out the majority vote in your state, then John Smith is the elector for your district casting his ballot. Right. Right. Um, and I know that it's like that in Georgia um, and in a number of other states, you can um, even like Google them and some, like the number of elector or the names of electors is public knowledge. And so there's a, there's an elector representing each party and each voting district in the state. Um, not so somewhat. So this is how it works in Florida. Um, and this, I, I broke this down into as simple as possible. Um, and it does sound a little like legalese esque, but I really did try to make it as not terrible as I could. So the governor nominates the presidential elector electors of each political party. Um, so the state's executive committee of each political party. So the, um, you know, chairman committees for each political party um, by a resolution will recommend candidates for presidential electors. And they'll deliver a certified copy of that to the governor each presidential election year. And then the governor then from that list will nominate the electors recommended by the state executive committees for each respective political party. Um, but so an each elector is then qualified to be an elector of the party that he or she represents. They take an oath um, and they understand that they will vote for the candidate of the party that he or she is nominated to represent. Um, and then the governor will certify to the Department of State each presidential election year the names of the electors and then what party they represent. Um, and then on the day that is directed by Congress um, and at the time fixed by the governor, They'll meet in Tallahassee, perform their duties of them required by the Constitution and laws of the U.S., and then they will cast their elector ballots in favor of who won out the popular vote by the state of Florida. It seems unusual almost that we wouldn't just have like one official elector in each district that's like kind of like referees in sporting games. Like they're not supposed to have like opinions or, you know, like they're not supposed to have favoritism. Um, No, it's not. I mean, I think the reason that we get electors for each party um, is to have it somewhat subjective. It's not like, you know, because there's all because, you know, Marion County is predominantly red, then we're only going to have like Republican electors. And honestly, 
there it's um it's more of a what's the word I'm looking for here I'm trying to it's more for show like they're more of um it's like pomp and circumstance like them going and like dropping this ballot like oh I was chosen to be an elector and it's like because you're a standout in your party in some way shape or form like you're probably like a councilman or like a county commissioner or you know the mosquito control guy you know something along those lines. <laughs> you already like you're not just like Joe Schmo like no you're right okay. you're not the guy down the street for me who like d- cut down my privacy hedge yeah you're not that got guy. it <laughs> what a dick do we oh well, let me tell you yeah um but I do want to say so I I talked to my dad about this um and Julie knows but I don't know if you know Elizabeth so my dad also is a history major um and he has a number of history degrees. Um, and we got into a little bit of an argument, um, and he did say something that really kind of resonated with me and I did take, took pause. Um, so he told me, he said, the electoral college is what makes this nation a republic. We are not a democracy. Oh yeah, that's true. Our nation was founded on the principle of being a democratic republic. And we are in truth, a republic who operates under a democratic process. So he's not wrong, and I hate saying that. (laughs) Um, um, And it should be noted um, that because we're not fully democratic, technically not everyone, like the the voting is different because we're not in whole a full-blown democracy. Because and it's funny because I feel like that line gets delivered so often. Like, this is a democracy. You never hear, this is a republic. <laughs> you never hear that. Um, no, you don't. But even, and I mean, and he even reminded me because I, I just sort of like didn't say anything for a minute because like obviously he was right. And he was like, when you say the Pledge of Allegiance to, who do you say it? He said, you don't pledge allegiance to the democracy of the United States. You pledge allegiance to the republic. Yeah. It is kind of funny. The other thing I read about, like, a pro for the Electoral College is um, <coughs> is that it, it uh, guarantees a finite result. It does, yes. Um, but, yeah, that was one thing I read, too, that I was like, well, you know, I can see the, the, uh, the appeal to that. My big, my big issue is the winner-take-all thing. That, that, to me, will never make sense. That's- I don't – it doesn't it's like what's the point of me going out and voting my way if ultimately the entire state wins a majority and then my vote just gets what tossed in the trash you know for my district like my district felt a certain way and that just gets just kidding we were just going to scratch out what you guys wanted and put the other per- you know like I think I overall know. that's the part that bothers me too because I I do see where they were coming from in the sense that they needed to um, add privilege to smaller states with small populations and they needed to make them feel like, you know, their vote counted. But I, I do 100% see where you're coming from in the sense that um, because you didn't vote the way the majority voted, you know, um, what, like, and I'm it's just throwing that away. Like, like, it's not even like my vote gets thrown away. It feels like my vote gets changed almost. Not changed, but like, I don't know how to describe so, okay, it. Okay, so keep that – so kind of keep that in your back pocket. Okay. Okay. So um, just just sort of that theory, like, where you were kind of going. Yeah, okay. Um, so I've got some some very interesting information. Um, so a can I number ask, of – Can I ask a question before you – Of course, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Thank if, you for raising your it, hand, Elizabeth. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. I, no, I'm listening intently. I just, no, I know and, you are. Yeah, I okay. Um, so – if it were not a winner-take-all situation, how do you think that would 
change things. Um, like the outcomes of the elections, Elizabeth? Yeah. Good. So, uh, and I don't it, know if you have an answer for that. That's just like something that came to mind. I, I think I kind of have an answer um, at the end of this. Um, okay. As I was like working through this, I sort of saw like bits and pieces of things. Where like, well, if we just took this and then threw that away and then sprinkled some of this in here, then maybe, um, maybe it could be a thing. Um, but in so in 2019, a number of polls, and I'm not talking like janky polls, like like big dogs, like Quinnipiac and all those people, ran a number of polls. Um, uh, um, where those who um, identify as a Democrat are more in favor of abolishing the Electoral College and those who identify as Republican are more in favor of maintaining the system. Um, so, and just to go back to the conversation with my father, he did make a, like, you know, he raised the point of, um, you know, if we were to get rid of it, then big states like Texas and California would choose the outcome of our nation's presidency and smaller states would be left in the dust. So once again, we are faced with the question of population size and how representation in Congress doesn't proportionately represent a state's current population. And there's already an initiative underway to abolish the current electoral college system, and it's known as the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. Um, and it kind of works like this. So states agree to allocate their electoral votes to the candidate who wins the national popular vote. The compact wouldn't kick in until all states with at least 270 electoral college votes among them. So the majority threshold to be elected president have signed on. Um, and from what I can see, a few states, it, it's sort of slowly gaining momentum. Um, and I think right now they have around 14 legislative districts who have already signed on to participate. So an example of how this would work. I um, say, yeah, break that down because I, I think I understood about 60% of what you said, but not 100%. <laughs> So they're maintaining sort of the meat of the electoral college system. You still are going to have your state's electoral votes. So Florida would still maintain those 29 electoral votes. But what would happen is those votes wouldn't go to a candidate until we had the full numbers from the popular, the national popular vote. So you wouldn't get your... Um, or like so, like the the way the state compact would work is well, it does it does seem to take the fun out of election night because the fun part about election night is watching the map is sitting there getting drunk and watching that map light up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, say Jay, what you were saying basically, the electoral college votes would not be doled out until the national popular vote was counted. Correct. Yeah. So they have an example here, and this is from um an NPR article from 2019. Um, and it has it here. So, uh, so this is the example. California um, is a member of this interstate compact. Um, this is hypothetical. If President Trump were to win the popular vote in 2020, the longtime blue state would award him all 55 of its electoral votes, regardless of how he fared on the state ballot. I don't know if I do like that. So that's kind of what people are those who want to switch towards um, a popular vote system are leaning more towards that way. But you have to remember too, so this popular vote system is being pushed by a lot of liberal progressive legislators and it's popular and more liberal and progressive legislative districts because for the past four elections, the Democratic candidate has won out the popular vote, but they've lost the electoral vote. Right. Um, and I would say that's, 
that would not be my reason for pushing for a popular vote. It's but you're also of, not a politician. I'm also not a politician. You're correct. And regardless of how anybody's voting or what party anybody is uh, voting for in this election or in any election, if you have party loyalty, I don't have a whole lot of party loyalty. Um, I feel like me personally, it depends on what's going on in the world and what the needs are. And, you know, it depends on the candidates that are, you know, running. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that go into it, but I'm pretty open-minded. I see the logistical, the potential logistical challenges that a true popular vote could present. I I can see that. Um, And, but at the same time, and like you said, I, I like what you brought up about what your dad was talking about, the fact that we are a republic and not really a democracy. It's something we don't think about and something that we don't remind ourselves of. That being said, I don't know if I care for that necessarily. No, and I – and Like maybe I just want to be a demo- – like maybe I just think we should be a true democracy. And I think, I think a lot okay. of us feel that way because we've constantly been fed this, you know – we have a democratic system and we're a democracy and we do everything from like a democratic standpoint. And, but our country was not set up that way. So things would need to be changed, like really changed in order for us to be a true democracy. Um, And a number of political scientists have made the heavy argument that if we were to abolish the system, um, smaller rural states would become totally insignificant, which in and of itself is kind of eliminating their participation in a democratic process. And that could be true, and that would be a reason to maintain elements of the Electoral College. Right. That's been the main argument that I've heard. Like, I've had conversations about this with Matt, and he's like, we need the Electoral College. He's yeah, like, we need I, it. And, I, and, it's, and this is what's so great about this podcast, too. It's like, I love that last week we, we recorded and we were like, no, like, popular vote, like, all the way. And then... We do more research. We do more discussing. We we do more digging, and we're like, you know what? I have a different perspective now. Yeah. You know, like I think that that's like what's great about it because all three of us are very similar, and I think how we view politics and how we view the world and how you know just we view the issues for sure, um, which makes it easy because we all kind of align. But um, it's funny that we all sort of came to a similar conclusion. I don't like it how it stands now. I think it needs there needs to be some reformation going on. But um, I can see why elements of it are necessary, you know, so for it, representation it, and efficiency, I guess. Yeah. Think. And it really hasn't been, I mean, it hasn't been, like, really, really tweaked with um, since 1796, or I'm sorry, since 1800, when we had our first, uh, so, like, dual, um, like, dual ticket. So it used to be that when you you would have multiple people running for president and then um, you would have your winner of the electoral college and then whoever was like in second place, they were the vice president. But that wasn't really working out because Thomas Jefferson and John Adams were like always first and second all the time and they hated each other. So they mm. never worked well together. And also they were both from two different political parties. So nothing was getting done because the vice president is the president of the Senate. So um, he's there to make tiebreaker votes. And if something's going on that like TJ has suggested that like doesn't line up with his federalist point of view, but lines up with Thomas Jefferson's Republican point of view, he's just going to be like, all right, nope, bye. So it became really problematic. And then Thomas Jefferson 
approached Aaron Burr and was like, hey, Burr, um, what are you doing later? Would you like to hop on a joint ticket with me and be my vice president? And Aaron Burr was like, yeah, will Alexander Hamilton be there? And Thomas Jefferson was like, no. And he was like, all right, cool. Um, so then that happened, but our system wasn't set up to like deal with like a, a two-man ticket. So they had to tweak it again because they kept having contingent elections, which is where they kept having ties. And then it would have to go to Congress to break it. There's actually that the, there's a whole season of Veep about that where she, um, so they tie and it goes to Congress and then Laura Montes. Yeah. The whole thing. Like there's a whole season of Veep about contingent elections. Um, So, but okay. Can you explain to me? I don't know why I'm having trouble understanding this. Why a popular vote eliminates the representation of? Thank you. Okay, yeah, I was gonna ask that. Yeah. Okay. Why? Why does? How does that work? So why a popular I mean, if you're vote? A rural state, and you decide not to vote. That's on you, right? So, it it comes from the fact that if states that have more population are so overall, they're going to have more people casting a vote just because there's more people. So then it becomes this frustrating thing of. Well, um, so stick a smaller state like a Dakota. So they probably have like, I don't know, like nine people who live there. Um, that feels right. Like nine people and eight cows. <laughs> and they're all cousins. And they're all cousins. And um, they all if you, love Fargo. If you live in a Dakota and you're listening to this, I don't blame you. Just go ahead and turn it off. It's fine. <laughs> but then we hear all nine in, of you. Here in Florida, we have like eight million thousand people. I don't know. Um, and more people in Florida are going to vote just proportionately than more people in a Dakota. So we have just a greater chance of representation than they do just because there's more of us. So it's not really about evening the playing field. It's more just about reducing the, uh, extent of the proportion between, Yes, it's Each you're right. It's not pull. so much about boosting them up; it's about pushing the other ones down a little bit. Okay, because yeah, I mean, it's like a say because there's no us- way to boost them up really, unless no. we just took half of us and put them over there. So it's yeah, and I, I know that say pushing them down sounds bad, but it's more of like how do we get those of you up here sort of down to a more mediocre level, creating a little bit of balance. And I mean. Although I, I'm going to bring it back to this again, like I said last week, I still don't really understand why in a presidential election that's like super, super relevant because once again, states issues are usually widely left up to the states. I'm not saying the president doesn't have anything to do with like issues in individual states. Of course they do. But like, you know, usually it's it's left up to your what congressional representatives and your state government. Yes. Um, I guess that could change, though. And so maybe this is safeguarding against that. I don't know. That's what it is. So it, it's it has it's a very checks and balance situation. It is safeguarding against your legislative branch having too much power. Yeah. I, I mean, and I could see that. I still, I mean, so when you're discussing this um, potential, what did you call it again? It, it is called the... Oh, I just lost it, and it's a lot of words. Oh, the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. So when discussing that, I'm just picturing, like, on election night, you're sitting there, you're watching the news, you're not watching the coverage, whatever, you're watching the popular vote, mm-hmm. but, and then one party wins the popular vote and the whole map turns blue or red? 
Yeah. So that's just a popular vote. Right. Um, but they keep the electoral system by, by sort of saying this compact doesn't work until the number of states that have a culmination of 270 electoral college votes among them commit to it. So, so until the state, state, each state is allowed to adopt this. Right. But this and it's basically their way of adopting. We just want a popular vote. That's really what they're doing. Right. We want a popular vote, but we're still sort of maintaining the figurehead situation that the electoral college has boasted for, you know, 200 years. Why can't we just meet halfway and split the difference and split up the electoral college votes proportionally to the popular vote in each state? So Am that's I crazy the thing for saying that that's not the most logical solution. But that's what's so frustrating, though, because technically the Electoral College was birthed out of meeting halfway. Right. So, and I, I think, too. And who started the winner-take-all idea? Do you have any? Did You you maybe didn't research that. It Well, so that was, I mean, the winner-take-all was adopted by each state. So when they made, like I said, when they made their state constitutions, it was sort of like, and this is how we're going to deal with our electoral votes. And a lot of times when it comes to stuff like this, this is, I don't want to say it's arbitrary, but it's sort of like, well, South Carolina, North Carolina do it this way, so we might as well do it this way too. You know, it's not really like, it's it's probably not really something that's, um, you know, picked over and everything like that. It's just sort of like hopping on the bandwagon because it's easier because everyone else is doing it that way. It does make me feel though that, like, if I were to vote one way and then the popular vote in my state goes the other way and my electoral district vote just goes to that other candidate, even though my even my even if I vote the same way as my district and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden my district's just like, well, sorry, like our electoral you know district vote is going to go to the other candidate because they won the popular vote for the state. That bothers me. I still feel like my district should be able to put in our vote for that candidate that we actually voted for. Right. I understand that. I feel that. like those 29 votes should be should be split the way that they actually voted. Right. They should be proportional. Um, and it should be that, e- okay, so even if my candidate, let's, we'll use the two running right now, for example. So like you, we have 29 votes, um, say all three of our counties vote in favor of Donald Trump. Um, so, you know, there's, there's three votes that are like pledged his, or all three of our districts vote in favor. There's, so there's three votes pledged to him there. Um, so he should get the number of votes for districts that he actually won out. That's what exactly what. Yes. So like if Florida 19 districts vote red and 10 vis- districts vote blue. That number should then go into their votes. overall yes. electoral vote count. Yes. yes. Votes, t- Joe Biden gets 10 towards his 270 and Trump gets 19 towards who- his 270. Correct. How, I, think would be, I think that would be I think that would be a much more effective system and I think I was trying to explain that to my dad but he just wasn't getting it. I think he like wasn't hearing what I was saying. He like went into dad mode. Mhm. And especially in the states like Florida, where it is so close. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. I mean, it's like what? So close to half the state wanted one or the other. And you're and I'm not even saying, I mean, for my friends that, you know, will vote the way that I won't vote. I don't really want that for them either. I don't no. want for their for their vote and for their values that they they cast their vote. They believed in that. I don't think it's fair for that to be taken from them. 
and all nine, 29 votes to go towards the candidate I voted for. I, you know, I think that people that vote the way that I don't vote deserve to feel like they got a little bit more of a, I don't, I don't want to say a say, but you know, right. Putting it in like really basic terms. Like I got to say, but you know what I'm saying? Um, and I, I saw recently, um, so there, um, there's a little bit of like a, like, I don't want to call it a rumor, but like, there's a definitely like a feeling going around that what happened here in 2000 could happen again. Oh yeah. The Al Gorsuch. Yes. Could happen again. Um, I do want to, I just want to throw this in here. Um, it still, um, goes along with what we were talking about, but, um, I did some, I sent out a few texts to like some people I know who like actively work in politics, like much higher than I am. Um, And somebody raised the point that, you know, you really do need to dig a little bit deeper into congressional representation and those numbers. Um, And I have found, and this was something that I remembered, but I, it it, like jumped back up at me today um, because I was like, oh my God, that's right. So Congress capped the number of representation at 437. We cannot go above or below 437 representatives and Congress. So each state's congressional delegation can like change as a result of like population shifts and things like that. So you can gain seats or lose seats based on population. And that um, goes back know. to filling out your census, everyone. Yes. <laughs> but we can't exceed 437. We just can't. They've decided that that's not a thing. Even though that should definitely be a thing. Yeah. Like this number should but for we sure. we still have what, 538 electoral votes? And 400... Because it's 437 um, plus the 50 plus one for Puerto Rico. Oh. Wait, that math doesn't add up. Does it's it? 500 and... Because it's no, no, it's a hundred. Because it's so two for each state. Sorry, it's a hundred plus Puerto Rico. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that does make sense. Okay. Yeah. Math is hard. Um, yeah. So we, as a nation, are willing to drop representation or allow states to gain representation as a whole. Um, so, like you know, like I said, districts will expand or shrink down or what have you, or they'll even just eliminate entire districts. And um, you know, like there's enough people there, we'll just sort of throw them into whatever the closest one is. But we aren't supposed to stray away from this 437 number, which to me is very arbitrary and it doesn't really make any sense. I don't quite know like where or how they got it from. And I even asked, I was like, Hey, where'd they get this number from? And they were just like, I don't know. And I was like, you should be able to tell me. And they were like, Nope, sorry. I can't. And I was like, okay, thanks. Um, <laughs> but the last time it was raised when it went, it went from 435 um, to 437 in 1959 when they added Hawaii and Alaska. Um, so each of them got one congressional representative, um, which makes sense because like Alaska, I think is like just bears and then Sarah Palin's family and then Hawaii. (laughs) (laughs) And then Hawaii is just the cast of blue crush. So, um, all of my jokes are just pop culture references. I've, I've no, there's like no real depth to me as a person. Um, but so as a result, over the last century, congressional districts have more than tripled in size, though, from an average of roughly 212 and ha- 212,000 inhabitants per district um, in 1910 
to somewhere between 710 and 715,000 inhabitants as of 2010. So that number is definitely going to go up when we get the census from this year because they run yeah. it every 10 years. Right. So the powers that be cannot be sitting up there in their ivory buildings saying to me, no, Sarah Allen, 437 is the way it needs to stay. I know there's 900,000 people living in that district, but two people is fine to to cover those 900,000. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense at all. No sense whatsoever. Also, term limits. That needs to be a thing. Yeah, we're going to retweet the term limits. Uh, we mentioned that on the last episode, and we're just going to mention Ugh. that. Yeah. Yeah, everyone I've ever talked to agrees on the term limits issue. Another thing about this system that is interesting is that it wholly can only it, it, it only operates under a two-party system. So a third party cannot thrive with the electoral college. Right. In any way, shape, or form. Um, and this so this system has this system has cemented the two-party system. Um, so in 1968, though, George Wallace, who was, um, a very prominent Democrat, um, but he, I wouldn't even say Democrat, he was more of a Dixiecrat. He ran a third party, what's called a disruption campaign, um, which is where he essentially goes in there knowing that he can pull base support from an entrenched political party. So from the Democrats in this instance, Um, And he will and he'll mess it up so much that he can prevent Nixon from getting an electoral majority. Um, So he did this in 1968 after he was effectively expelled from the Democratic Party for being a little too segregationist. His slogan was segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. So he seems like a cool guy. Yeah, the coolest. Um, Love that. So he, and he almost achieved, like he almost essentially disrupted, and that is the technical term, disrupted the election of 1968. So in the wake of this though, Nixon, who was the Republican candidate and then became president, um, and then Charles Humphrey, who was the Democratic candidate um, who lost, they lobbied Congress to abolish the Electoral College because they saw what a, like, this obviously was a failed disruptive campaign, having seen what a failed disruptive campaign campaign could do, they had the foresight to recognize what a, um, like what an actual, like effective disruptive campaign could do to the two party system. I mean, if you look at somewhere like England, they have like 9,000 political parties and they have representation for each of those political parties in parliament, which is wild to me. So, um, you know, they have like the, like the, like the labor party and like the new labor party and like, Another kind of labor party. Um, mostly it's it's just a lot of the... La- oh, a, a, and and Tories. That's still a thing over there. Um, but we're kind of like the only like Western democratic situation that's like, nope, just two. We just do two. We only believe in two. Red, yeah, blue, seem, that's it. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. It doesn't really make a lot I of just sense. Think, I think the Electoral College and the having two main political parties essentially is just I'll say it I think it's just a control thing Elizabeth funny you should say that what a profound (laughs) statement you did make what a profound statement that you said there and Julie that little statement you made about how things kind of need to change because I don't necessarily think it's on the right track in theory 
this system was created because a they didn't want congress to just have all the power like i said because congress to pick the president because then he could curry favor from those who elected him in and vice versa. And which, also, that's really not fair. No, and it disrupts the system of checks that and balances. That nice. I want to have a say. Right. Two, when this system was established, they didn't know if they could trust a bunch of people who just effectively overthrew a monarchy to go in there and, like, wreak havoc and make decisions. So they were like... Um, so in 1987 or in 1787 at the congressional convention, they like took a bunch of people, locked them in a room. They were like, figure it out. And they reached the compromise that they were like, well, we don't want to give everybody the right to vote, but we also don't want to have Congress be the only one that makes the decision. So we came up with this idea that we're going to base it on representation and blah, blah, blah. So thus the electoral college was born, but it is a sense of control. Because they effectively chose to disenfranchise people. Yeah. By saying, you're casting your ballot and that's great. But if the guy you voted for doesn't win out in your state, then sorry, didn't even have a chance. And trying to like boost the relevancy of smaller states, they effectively took too much control over the system. And it... It really is, I, I find it very frustrating, and not to mention this system was established before we even elected our first president, because George Washington, they just sort of like, you're the guy, you're the one, and he was like, all right, I'll do it. So he served until 1796, and then when he stepped down, they were like, well, let's, you know, give this system a shot and see how it goes, um, and they had a tie, so the House had to do their tie-breaking contingent vote thing. No, Apple Watch, I will not stand up. No, um, do don't their- do it. I hate it when it does that. It's like it's shaming, like, you haven't stood for a while. Um, So they have their contingent election. They had to do that for every election, or they had to do that, like, a few times, and they had to do it again in 1800. So it really did seem like this whole system would fail, and then they were like, we got to do something to fix this. They passed the 12th Amendment, which stated that electors would cast their two votes, so one for the president, one for the vice president, to eliminate this sort of tie-breaking situation. But... This system has not been tweaked until this, or the system hasn't been tweaked since 1800. This system hasn't been adjusted or changed or fixed since 1800. Every other part of our voting system has, except for this. I say this a lot about like just things in this country when people say like, well, that's the way it was set up. And like, that's the way the founding fathers thought it should be. And like, I'm not knocking the OGs. I'm not. I, I'm really not. That's cool and all. But you're telling me that you run a, say you open a, a restaurant or any small business, right? And you write your business plan. That's how you get your loan. You're like, oh, bank approved this business plan. This makes sense. And three years down the road, you're hemorrhaging money. You really fucking think you're going to be like, well, my business plan from three years ago, got to stick to it. That was my plan. Or right. You're going to be like, yeah. let's adjust <clears throat> this business plan so that it actually makes sense. All my employees are happy. I'm like thriving instead of struggling and having unhappy, disgruntled employees. Like that's such a good analogy. Julie. Yeah, no, Julie, that's phenomenal. I would. We've had a lot of very likable candidates. Um, I I truly did when Barack Obama ran the first time against John McCain. I truly did think 
there's no way he's going to beat John McCain. Well, John people McCain love is so, John McCain. Yeah, he's he was so likable. Yes, yeah. people love John McCain, and just like a great human being. Yes, and he was well liked on both sides of the aisle, and he was known for, um, you know, he was known for sponsoring legislation that people from his like people from the other party, um, you know, brought forth and everything like that. So. With the 2016 election, I really didn't know how that was going to go because they both, they're both they both very polarizing figures, um, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. This year is the same, too. Um, well, I will say this has been a really interesting turn of events because as of last Thursday, we were like, down with the Electoral College, yeah. popular vote only. And it's kind of funny that like individually we all kind of came to a more – uh neutral i would say oh man well i feel like personally i wish it was a popular vote situation but because our country has never done that before change is scary Mm -hmm. in general but like i just feel like not the unknown is what is keeping that from happening and then it's like poll workers everywhere are completely overworked of people that work at the elections offices. I mean, like, we'd like to think now that there is no margin of error in the popular vote. We'd like to think that. But is that true? I don't know. That's hard to believe with all the people that live in this country that there's no margin of error, you know? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure we have to have like a small margin of error. Um, and I do know that a lot of people attribute that to voter fraud, but there's only been like something like 140 cases of voter fraud in, like, the last, like, 9 million years. Well, this will all be over tomorrow. So This will all be over tomorrow. Everybody, get your your drinks ready. I know we're still recovering from Halloween, but um, maybe just choose a different liquor. And, yes, I did say liquor. Um, <laughs> you don't I even would... know her. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh liquor oh what a dad joke here she comes (laughs) oh my god that's great yeah choose something you didn't um drink on saturday that won't make you feel sick what if Um, you drank everything on saturday like elizabeth did oh god i honestly didn't even do that you may be sol i (sighs) took jello shots on saturday i can't i i barf them back up my throat refuses to allow me to swallow them i don't like jello I don't either. Jello's gross. It I we made jello shots for my twenty first birthday party and I didn't have any because I hate jello. And I took jello shots on Saturday. I don't know who I was. I can't I literally I'm not even kidding you. I put them in my mouth and my throat just says, Oh no, sweetie, and I have to like I can't I like regurgitate them back. I swallow it all whole. I don't even chew it. No, 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 no. Chew Um is freaking me out. I have to use a spoon and take small bites. I have to use my finger and like kind of scoop it into my mouth. Know your know your rights at the voting polls. Know your well. rights at the if voting you, poll. If someone says you are not on the register, you are to request a contingency ballot. And if you are in line, if you have it's like if you have a work thing and you get there late or whatever, if you're in line when the polls are open and then they close, you have you are still you have the right to still vote because you were in line when the Correct. polls were open. Good to know. Well, follow us on Instagram at Spaghetti Heads Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Spaghetti underscore Heads. Email us your embarrassing stories to SpaghettiHeadsPodcast at Outlook.com. Um, as CJ said, Tuesday is election day. Know your rights. Get a contingency ballot if you're not on the registry. And 
vote for who you want to vote for. It's Go your right. Go for it. America. America. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>